Fall semester is almost upon us, everyone. But it's not just a new semester. It's a whole new academic year. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting, right? I mean, I'm excited. What? I am. Seriously. This is going to be so much fun. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. In all honesty, I am excited. I always get excited about the possibilities of a new year, regardless of the amount of work or stress I know is coming my way. So I thought for this week, we'd look at some of the things students are told to do to prep for the fall semester, some things faculty are told to do to prep for the fall semester, and then, as a little bonus, some things academic staff wish faculty knew coming into fall semester. A lot of content coming your way this episode, so let's start off with some of the tips for and from students about back to school from around the interwebs. Last year, the Daily Wildcat, UA's student newspaper, put out a list of 10 ways to quote unquote, make this the best semester yet. They're pretty brutally honest, but I'd say mostly spot on. One of those ways is to treat school like an experiment. To try different things. Keep track of how they work. Accept mistakes as failed experiments. And keep on moving. Also to treat school like a job. That is, understand that some of your time is specifically devoted to this thing. This thing being your classwork. If you don't feel comfortable putting off responsibilities for your normal job, you probably shouldn't feel comfortable putting off your schoolwork either. There are some more on the list, so be sure to check those out. And again, link in the show notes. Another tip is to get organized before class begins. Over at Sarah Laughed, she lists a number of ways to do this, notably among them, Keeping a planner or planner app, maybe OneNote or Evernote, maybe something homegrown. Whatever works for you. The key point is to keep just one. Once you have to start looking around in different places for different things, everything falls apart. Sarah also suggests annotating syllabuses. This actually makes me think I need to restructure my syllabus a little bit to allow for more room to annotate, maybe even a few places for students to write notes to themselves. Hmm. Also, take advantage of the free software from in and outside your university. From outside, you can check out the Lifehacker pack for students, for example, and again, link in the show notes. But for inside, universities typically contract with software publishers like Microsoft and Adobe. This happens all the time. 
Chances are students have free access to software in software suites that would normally cost hundreds of dollars. The University of Arizona, for example, has access to both Microsoft operating systems and office suites, now Office 365 in the cloud, and also the Adobe Creative Cloud and Google Apps for Education with, and this impressed me when I found out about it, unlimited storage on Google Drive. Pretty swank, really. Also, take advantage of support offered by the university itself. One great resource I had the pleasure of working with back in grad school is Supplemental Instruction, or SI. SI offers what could be called recitations, basically, for classes that do or do not have labs. These are review and study sessions led by high-excelling students that previously passed the class. The classes SI typically will do sessions for are those that have a traditionally high turnover or failure rate. Think intro to calculus or organic chemistry. They're free, and I can say from having supervised the sessions, the students really benefit from them. Finally, avoid that freshman 15. Also, I'm leaving this for the last before heading into the faculty fall prep portion because well, the, the freshman 15 ain't just for freshmen anymore, and my belts will attest to this. Lifehacker, and can, have you figured out yet that I'm a Lifehacker fan? Lifehacker shared a list from the PictureFit YouTube channel that includes the following. Don't snack in class, unless it's like an apple or something. Skip the vending machine, bring some fruit. And I guess confession time here. Some of the worst memories I have of all my years spent in school, and there were many, are of random students in class opening and eating a banana right next to me. I capital H hate bananas. The smell makes me sick. Anyway, point being, if you're going to eat in class, and this goes for students and faculty alike, be considerate about what smells are involved. Next, drink water, not sugar. That goes for, well, life, I guess. Skip the soda. Skip the Gatorade. Skip the energy drinks. Skip the diet soda, please. Water, tea, coffee. Your body will thank you. And here's a fun one. Use smaller plates when you eat. The source suggests doing this at the cafeteria, but this has been shown to work in general. Seeing the same amount of food on a small plate can trick your brain into thinking you're getting more than the same amount of food on a larger plate. Also, drink eight ounces of water on the way to get food. This will help you feel fuller sooner. Next, exercise. Enough said. Finally, limit the drinking. Now, I know this is the freshman 15 list, but if you think college freshmen aren't drinking because it's illegal, I've got some great oceanfront property to sell you in Tucson. Not only does alcohol contain a lot of empty calories, but alcohol has been shown to slow fat burning. Combine this with what's known as drunk eating when the food cravings come after a night of binge drinking and instead of eating a salad, it's a burrito the size of your thigh. It's not unheard of to literally double a week's worth of calories in just a weekend. 
Combine this with the urge to be lazy while sleeping off a hangover and you've got a double whammy to your waistline and your productivity. So now what about the faculty? Well, a few years ago, Natalie Houston over at Prof Hacker, ironically, I guess, wrote about time traveling to prepare for your fall semester. This essentially describes imagining your ideal semester, whatever that may be, and identifying milestones throughout. So asking yourself questions like, at one month into the semester, how are you spending most of your time? What's happening in your classes right now? And then doing it for two months in, and then again for the last week of the semester. And she suggests writing down whatever comes to mind. And no, I imagine that crawling into a bottle is probably not a productive answer. Instead, after you've done that, she suggests you do the exact same exercise, but actually answer those questions with the reality of the previous year's fall semester. Where's the rift? What's the cause? Now you have something identifiable and measurable to point at and address. Raul Pacheco Vega is probably known to anyone who's interested in this podcast for the content and not just to hear the dulcet tones of my voice. His blog, and the link again in the show notes, but it's just raulpacheco.org, is a treasure trove of strategies and suggestions in terms of writing and organization in academia, especially in research-heavy positions. A few of the posts he did relate to beginning a new fall semester. For example, building flexibility into your calendar, i.e. buffers between scheduled blocks of work. Scheduling reading from 9 to 11, gym from 11 to 12, means you're either going to get less reading done than you expected, or spend less time at the gym, or just push everything back. That doesn't help anybody. Also, clean your damn office. Starting with a clean slate, as Raul says, after finishing a project can get you mentally prepared to begin the next. And remember, a cluttered desk is the sign of a cluttered mind, though this is contested somewhat. And what about self-care? I know I've talked about this before, but just try to make an effort to maybe do that reading on the stationary bike at the gym, or download that article as a spoken mp3 and listen to it on your run or your morning commute. And UA at Work, Arizona's newsletter about just these kinds of things, has a list of ways to try to be more mindful and avoid getting stressed out, and I'll put the link to those again in the show notes. Also, before fall starts, and I know I've gone on about this before, but doing a security audit is a great idea. And I keep talking about it because it will genuinely, literally never get less important. So as you're preparing for fall semester, it might be a good time to preemptively change your university account password. Do it now so you won't be required to do it and locked out during, say, an important meeting or a presentation or class. Maybe as you're checking all your reading and resource links in your online classes, now is a good time to move them to a more secure repository like Sync.com or SpiderOak. On a more personal side, 
check the direct deposit information and check your bank accounts. Change the passwords. Try turning on the biometric scanning option on your mobile device, and please, turn off the show pattern option if you use the drawn pattern to unlock your phone. Next, update your syllabus to match the current atmosphere, and not just the updated content. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, specifically, faculty might want to consider including what Sarah Goldrick Rabb calls a basic needs security statement. This is a different kind of security than we were just talking about, though. Sarah, author of the recently very popular book Paying the Price, a book that exposes some pretty frightening statistics on students' basic needs and their lack of fulfillment like housing and meals, suggests adding the following to your syllabus if you feel so inclined. Quote, any student who has difficulty affording groceries or accessing sufficient food to eat every day or lacks a safe and stable place to live and believes this may affect their performance in this course is urged to contact the Dean of Students for support. Furthermore, please notify the professor if you are comfortable in doing so. This will enable her to provide any resources that she may possess." Unquote. Of course, as Sarah mentions in her Medium piece that this is quoted from, and again, link in the show notes, the syllabus is oft considered more of a contract than a tool. So it would behoove you to check with your department head, associate dean, etc., to determine if this is something you are actually able to abide by. Now, what about some things that staff wishes faculty knew in preparation for fall? For one, budgets. If you have money you need to spend, prepping for fall semester is a good time to do an audit of how much you might have left and when you need to spend it by. Doing this now can help you from scrambling at the end of the semester to use those funds, which can put a strain on you and your business office. As far as employees go, double check that the instructors you have, adjunct or otherwise, listed to teach for fall is in agreement with whom your business office is planning on paying for the semester. Sometimes these lists can get out of sync for one reason or another. Best to nip it in the bud just by verifying it. The same goes for checking your graduate teaching assistants, especially international students as visa statuses might be in jeopardy because of a simple deadline being missed. Also, the academic versus calendar year. Some things in academia are driven by the calendar year, and some are driven by the academic year, beginning in the fall semester and ending at the close of the next summer. What follows which calendar is not always entirely clear, so double-checking on this can help save some headaches for all involved. For example, is your professional development or travel money for the calendar year or the academic year? best to find out before you commit to any travel. So anyway, I hope everyone's fall semester and 2017-18 academic year is getting off to a great start. I have a couple things to mention here that I just wanted to share with the listeners. Kind of a good news, bad news type thing. The good news is that I have been selected as the very first faculty fellow for the University of Arizona South Campus. 
It means I'm part of a select group of faculty, about 50 across the entire institution, that make an effort to shrink the large Research One University feeling into more of a small liberal arts college type feeling. Essentially help students feel connected with the institution. While I'm extraordinarily honored not only to be selected to be a fellow in the first place, but in fact to be the very first one for our campus, it also means a pretty substantial draw on my time. So now the baddish news, I guess. I've decided that the new professor will be switching to a bi-weekly publication schedule instead of the weekly one it has mostly been on. I think this will help me apply the time and attention I need to my new fellow position as well as ensure that I'm putting out quality material for all of you to enjoy. So that's what's coming up for the foreseeable future. I appreciate you listening and sharing the new professor with your friends and colleagues. It is purely a passion project supported solely by me, and I couldn't do it without the support and encouragement of the listeners. To that end, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you in two weeks. <laughs>